what is it with God? He is just so picky sometimes. I mean, did you hear Jesus today? You've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. Anyone who calls him raka is going to court. And anyone who calls him a fool is going to hell. Now, the good news for me is, in my whole entire life, I've never called anybody raka. Idiot, moron, jerk, various body parts. Yeah, I've done that, but raka, not at all, I'm good. Or you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at someone lustfully has already committed adultery with them in their heart. So does that mean that looking is just as bad as doing? And if that's true, then I may as well just go ahead and do it. And surely Jesus didn't want that to happen, so surely Jesus didn't even mean that. So I'm good on that one too. Don't you love technicalities and loopholes? Don't you love those? Because isn't that how we act around rules? See, how far can I bend it before it breaks? Or how close can I get to the edge before I fall in? You see, if if our sense of morality or ethics or how we treat people or what's right and what's wrong consists of what we're told not to do, then we're always going to be looking for loopholes. And the more we slither through those loopholes, the pickier the rules and the laws have to be. I was standing with a dad and, and we're watching his son and his son is messing up all these sorts of things without ever breaking any specific rules. And the dad says, you know, he's not a bad kid. I just can't think of enough things to tell him not to do. And that's what happens if our sense of right and wrong is thou shalt not or don't do this or don't do that. Because as soon as somebody tells me don't do that, I'll figure out a way to do this. And it's equally as bad or as wrong or as unhealthy or as unkind or as hurtful. But you know what? It's not that. And if somebody challenges me on it, I say, well, you didn't tell me not to. And that's why the great commandment is not a thou shalt not. Now, yes, the Ten Commandments have a lot of don't do that's. But the Ten Commandments were given to God's people when they were spiritual children. And children need some pretty clear don't do that's. So they don't hurt each other or hurt anyone else or hurt themselves. And if you want to get along with God or with people, then don't make other gods and don't use God's name as a cuss word and don't murder and don't cheat on your spouse and don't lie and don't steal. Those are pretty good starts to getting along with God and each other. So that's why those are that way. And God's moral principles throughout the ages have not changed but how he expresses them does. That's why when somebody comes to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So the question is, not, is it illegal so I can do it? It's not, is it wrong? It's not even, is it right? The question is, is it love? Is it love? You see, before I open my mouth or before I lift a finger to do anything, rather than asking, 
well, what can I get away with? I need to ask, is it love? Will what I'm about to say or do demonstrate love? Even better still to say, at this point in time, in this situation, with this person or this group of people or this, this what's going on, what is the most loving thing that I can say or do? Or at least, what is a loving thing that I could say or do? The question no longer is, is it wrong, but is it love? St. Paul echoes Jesus when he says, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commands there may be, are all summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm, does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, when love becomes the test, there are no more loopholes. There's nothing to get away with because love becomes the standard, not the rules. Now, with that as the question, what is love or is that love or is this love, let's go back to what Jesus said, okay? You've heard it said, do not commit murder. I tell you, don't call people names and don't act in anger. But you know what? If, if love becomes the guideline for how I relate to people, I'm not going to murder anybody. And I'm not going to call them names. Not even raka. Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in, her heart, in his heart. And he goes on to tell married people, don't divorce. But if love is the standard, if love is the guide for how I relate to other people, particularly my spouse, I'm not going to cheat on my spouse. And I'm not going to get divorced. You see, when love becomes the standard, when the great commandment becomes the standard, the Ten Commandments really don't matter anymore. Because if we're doing this, we're not even going to get anywhere close to that. I don't have to say, I didn't have sex with that woman, so therefore we didn't commit adultery. Because not only am I not going to commit literal adultery, I'm not going to do anything that would adulterate my marriage. Now, the word adulterate means to pollute or to contaminate. If I take a cup of water and I spit in it, it's adulterated, it's contaminated, it's, it's polluted. Would, would you like a drink of water? No? No? Well, what if, what if, I, what if I do this? Would, would you like a drink of water, Chelsea? No? No? Well, what if I, what if I do this? I mean, that, surely there's not going to be very much in there like that. Would, would you like some now? Maybe, maybe, maybe not? Okay, well, I'm not going to ask you if, if I were to fill up a swimming pool full of water and do that because people do worse things in swimming pools and spit in them. But if you don't want to drink a cup of water that's adulterated even just a teeny little bit, why would any of us who are married do anything that would adulterate, pollute, or contaminate our marriage? Why would we do anything that might adulterate our future marriage if we're single? See, because some of us are thinking, I'm single, I'm off the hook. No. If you're ever going to be married someday, you can adulterate that marriage by what you do now. We need to avoid pornography. 
Because pornography lies to us and says, well, that's how sex is supposed to be. And that's how people treat each other. And that's what men and women and body parts are supposed to look like. And sex is all about me and my pleasure rather than it's an expression of love and offering pleasure to the person that I marry. You see, I, I don't avoid pornography because thou shalt not. I avoid it because pornography does not only not prompt love, it pollutes and prevents it. Not only should married people avoid extramarital sex with someone they're not married to, they should also avoid, anybody should also avoid premarital sex because it adulterates the relationship. Any sex anybody has with anyone other than the person to whom, that they, are, to whom they are married adulterates and pollutes and contaminates their marriage. Maybe by introducing an infection, maybe by introducing comparisons with any of those other people. And if someone's not married yet, they pollute their marriage to come, not only for themselves, but whoever it is that they have sex with. And you say, but we're going to be married. But even then, sex before marriage detracts from that once-in-a-lifetime gift that God has for us on our honeymoon. So why would we adulterate? Why would we adulterate that, that relationship? And you say, well, I don't know who they're going to be, but God does. If you're single, God knows who you might marry. And God is getting that person ready for you and getting you ready for that person. And anything that you do now might detract from your relationship then. And why do that? You see, if the great commandment becomes the guideline, what is love, then the Ten Commandments of thou shalt not and don't do this really don't matter anymore. Because if we're going to base our morality and our sense of right and wrong and our ethics simply on don't do that, then that means that God and the government have to make all kinds of rules to cover all of the contingencies, kind of like what Jesus said today in the Sermon on the Mount. But if love becomes the standard, then we don't have to worry about all of those don't do those sorts of things. And God is no longer picky because we're walking in the way of love. Now, most of us have something that we're facing right now or something that's coming up. We need to make a decision or there's people we have to deal with and we're wondering what we're going to say or what we're going to do or maybe both. And at the bottom of the sermon notes page, there's a question. In my life right now, what is the loving thing to say or do? And I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to give you a minute to think about that question. And whether it's with a child or a parent or a spouse or a coworker or a friend or a classmate or in your family or at home or at school or at work or out in the neighborhood, every one of us has something we're thinking about, something we need to make a decision about. And I want you to answer that question there in that little space there. In my life right now, what is the loving thing to say or do? Because you probably already know.